Galatians chapter 2, if you would take your Bibles, please, and turn with me there. We welcome every single one of you to Big Woods on Palm Sunday. It is the day that we celebrate Jesus riding into Jerusalem. And literally crowds everywhere crying out, Hosanna, hallelujah to the King. May I encourage you this week, may I challenge you, um, begin today in Matthew chapter 21 and, and read a chapter every day this week about Passion Week, about the events that unfold it from Sunday, Palm Sunday until next Sunday, Easter Sunday. You'll have to read two chapters on Easter Day. But there, there is this temptation, I think, with Easter, with any uh, special day, a holiday, that we get busy. There's family coming in town, or we're traveling, that we move too fast. I would encourage you to pause. Dads, lead your homes this week and set some time aside. Set some time aside to read Matthew 21 through Matthew 28. You have to remember that some of the same crowd that was shouting Hosanna on Sunday, was shouting crucify on Thursday. That quick. Our, our hearts are capable of that, that type of denial. And we have to be careful to make sure, particularly this time of the year, to keep that focus first and foremost. Would you bow with me, please, as we pray and just ask God's direction and guidance as we learn together? Father, I am so, I'm so grateful for these few moments that we have to, to worship together. We thank you for new members that have come on that made commitments. We thank you, Lord, for the fact that we celebrate Palm Sunday together, that we have freedom to do that. We thank you, Lord, for your word, the presence of your spirit that is here. We thank you, Lord, for good music, that we, Lord, can lift up our voices with one voice to you. And now, Lord, I would ask, as we have some time set aside, that we would hear from you. Lord, please guard my lips, guide my words, that everything that is spoken would bring glory to the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I pray, Lord, for this community, and as we focus on the importance of the gospel, I pray for men that are standing in pulpits that are preaching the truth of the gospel. Equip them, Lord, and empower them in a unique and wonderful way. May their, may their bodies of believers around them, may their local churches hold those men accountable. And may we, Lord, together advance the kingdom of God right here in Lock Haven and surrounding. Lord, we love you. We thank you, Lord, that you, you paid the price, that you offered your own son to suffer and to bleed and to die in our place. But, Father, we also rejoice in the fact that we know that we serve a risen Savior. And as we look forward to celebrating that next Sunday, I would ask, Lord, that we would pay close attention to the events of Passion Week. May we keep you in mind. Uh, we ask, Lord, that you guard, guide our time now. In your name we pray. Amen. And amen. My, um, my grandfather, my dad's dad, 
was killed in World War II. He was killed in the Battle of the Bulge in Belgium. Um, my uncle, my mom's oldest brother, was killed at Heartbreak Ridge in Korea in 1952. And um, our cousin... Aaron was killed in Afghanistan um, in 2012. I thought about that as I looked at this message this morning. I thought about the fact that we have something, we believe something about freedom and how important freedom is. Every single one of those men and many, many, many other men and women who have gone into battle and have died have sacrificed their lives. Why? Because there were the freedoms of other people that were being taken away. In in a sense, a line was crossed. And and, and we would say, what? No, that's not going to happen. We're not going to stand for the freedoms of certain people to be taken away. We're going to do something about it. There's something about us in our own lives that there's there's certain lines that we just don't cross. Uh, you you, You can go so far. And, and we have to stand up and we have to do something about it. If, if, if someone attempts to cross that line, you, you can be rude to me. Be rude to me all day long. Okay, don't, don't use that tone with my wife. Cross a line. You, you can slap me all day long. You, you do not touch my daughter. Why? There's a line there. Call me ugly all day long. Don't call my mama ugly or you got a problem. That's just the way, that's the way that we live. There's, there's certain lines you just, you do not cross that line. There are times you and I understand we must take a stand for that which we know is the right thing to do. Today, as we venture further into this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the five churches around Galatia, as we dig now into chapter 2, we dig a little deeper, we're going to see that that there are certain freedoms that, that certain individuals wanted to take away from followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and Paul is not going to stand for it. He's not going to allow it. He is not going to be afraid to confront them on it. So we see here that Paul is at a crucial point, not only in his own life, but he's at a a crucial point for the future of the gospel and the entire Christian church. There's a lot at stake. Do you remember just by way of repriming the pump a little bit? What has happened so far in this book of Galatians? This, this whole book opens up and there is, there's a visible urgency. There's a problem that is pressing. So Paul starts with, with, with a unique kind of, of, um, tone. There's not the typical Pauline greeting and prayer for the saints, but rather he introduces himself as an apostle, Galatians chapter 1, verse 1. He has authority, and he's addressing a situation. Why? Because there's a problem that's, in a sense, crept into the church. Paul Paul begins with what? I I am amazed. I I am in awe. I I am shocked that you are so quickly believing another gospel. 
one that has been perverted from the truth. Where people are taking this, this blend, it's, 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 it's obedience to Old Testament law. You, ha- you have to do certain things. This salvation by works blended into or mixed alongside what? New Testament grace. And Paul says, no, you don't blend those two things together. They don't go together. And so what? He stands up. Someone's attempting to cross the line. He says, no, no, it's not going to happen. Let's pick it up. Here's our text. Galatians chapter 2, the first five verses. Pay, pay close attention to what God speaks to you and I about this morning. How, how, how relevant this is for the day and time that we live in today. Galatians chapter 2, verse 1. Here it is. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas. Taking Titus along with me, I went up because of a revelation, and I set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure that I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery. Verse 5. To them we did not yield in submission, even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Now, I want to draw your attention first and foremost to to the central theme of these five verses, the the big idea, what what I call the big light bulb. And it comes out of verse 5. Paul is saying this, To them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. The Neuronational Version translates it like this. We did not give in to them for a moment. Eugene Peterson, in in his paraphrase, the message says this. We didn't give them the time of day. We were determined to preserve the truth of the message for you. Phillips translates it like this. We did not give those men an inch. Didn't give them an inch. It is very clear in our text this morning that the Apostle Paul describes the fact that there are certain major doctrinal areas that what we simply do not budge on. We will not give in to pressures from without and we will never give them up. It's, it's important to realize, it's important for you and I to learn that there are times as a church that we do not give an inch. Let, let me explain the context a little bit as far as what is happening here. It has been 14 years since Paul's initial visit to Jerusalem. Since that time, we know that the Holy Spirit has allowed the Apostle Paul to be the main proponent. He is the leading voice, the leading advocate, the driving force to taking the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, really any non-Jewish audience that he can reach. 
However, during this time, as he is preaching the truth of the gospel, as he's planting churches all over the place, he is taking criticism from a number of people. Today, in our language, we would say this. Paul is taking some serious heat from a group of people known as Judaizers. They're, they're, they're so-called Jewish religious leaders who claim to have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ. And these Judaizers literally are following Paul around wherever he goes. They're following him around and they're telling him you're not doing your job correctly. They are, in a sense, just, just like buzzing pesky flies all over him. I, we, we lived for a number of years and ministered in, in northern Maine. Hard, long, cold winters. And, and whenever anyone died in the wintertime, January, February, March, okay, you could not bury them. The ground was frozen solid. And so you would have the funeral service, and then I'm not exactly sure what they did, but they would keep the bodies in a safe place, and I'm assuming a kind of a cool place, until around this time of the year in April. Sun comes out, the ground softens, and in April you always have a lot of burials. And so I, inevitably I was called in, I'd be at the, the, the cemetery in this special moment with the family, and, and there's tears and there's sadness, and what else happens in April, in Maine, is that it's black fly season. And I'm not talking like, oh, there's a black fly. I'm talking about a cloud of black flies, so much that I'm trying to read like my my Bible, and there's black flies flying all over. They're in your ears, and they are just a constant, like just. And you really try to do the best that you can. I remember that. That's exactly that's exactly what is happening. With Paul, as he continues to preach and press forward with the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's just these ones that are just bothering him, continuous, they're unrelenting. These two guys, they're poisoning, they're perverting the gospel. And and I, I believe that Paul initially is so excited that the gospel continues to advance, but that excitement turns into frustration. Just, oh... And, and that frustration actually leads, we could even say, into an anger. But there is a righteous anger or a righteous indignation. Paul is furious that these people are, are, are following him around telling him this. Something has to be done. You cannot take the message of salvation, justification, by grace through faith. And you can't add to that to blend. Well, you've got to do certain things in order for there to be forgiveness. Paul won't have it. Paul won't stand for it. So rather than run from these attacks, rather than run from the criticisms, rather than than ignore the problem, as sadly many people want to do today, we don't want to confront, we don't want to upset anyone, the Apostle Paul actually teaches us what to do in these settings, and he faces the problem head on. Where does he go? He goes to the very hotbed of Judaism itself. He goes to Jerusalem and his strategy is wise. We can learn from him. We should learn from him. Paul teaches us, number one, here it is, that we, just like he, are always to be obedient to the word of God, first and foremost. Paul verifies what? In verse 2, he did not choose to go up to Jerusalem on his own. 
you know, you know, maybe Jerusalem would be a nice place to visit this time of the year. I'll head that. No, that's not what I went up because of a revelation. Paul goes to Jerusalem. He went up because God clearly directed him to go. Now, remember the Apostle Paul, remember the timing here, first century, okay? What Paul did not have the completed word of God that you and I have today. Paul did not have the Bible. However, in the position that he is in as an apostle, Galatians chapter 1, verse 1 speaks of this. He, what, he regularly heard from God. God spoke to him very, very specifically. Was, was it in... Was it an audible word? Was it a booming voice from heaven? We have, we have no idea. I have no idea. Was it in a dream that God chose to speak to reveal himself in specific instruction to go to Jerusalem? Was it in a dream that God spoke to the apostle? I have no idea. Was it written in, in the sky? We have no idea. As a matter of fact, that's one of the questions when, when we get to heaven that we can ask. God, how'd you do this? Regardless of that, we know that God gave very specific instruction to Paul. And here's what you and I have to remember. Paul obeyed. Yeah, but Jerusalem's a really, really expensive city. And I don't really like Jerusalem because there's people there that hate me. No, Paul obeyed. Just like our response, our, our responsibility, okay? God now reveals himself through. We have the completed word of God. The primary means... The number one way that God speaks to us is through this word. When God speaks to you to do something through his word, you must obey it. God will use what men and women to offer wise counsel. God can speak through them, but it's, it's, it's got to align. It must align with the truth of, of God's word. God can speak through, through a pastor. But, but everything must be measured through the truth of God's Word. And we have to obey what God speaks to us about, what God calls us to do. You know, very carefully it says what? Paul went to Jerusalem. He set before them. There's a little parenthetical statements, what? Though privately before those who seemed influential. Paul goes to Jerusalem and his strategy is to meet with a few first. He sat with them. And they spoke about the gospel that I proclaimed among the Gentiles in order to make sure that I was not or I had not run in vain. Paul wants to make sure what that every single movement counts. What I'm doing, what I'm offering myself to, what I, I, I want it to matter. There's so much movement that goes on today that is just of, of nonsense. Paul says it has to clearly be connected to the purpose and the message of the gospel. Notice as well that he goes directly with these few, he goes directly to his brothers in Christ, his fellow apostles who had been working and ministering and teaching primarily to a Jewish setting. We know that he met privately to consult, to confer with them, to to discuss and and to deliberate with the other apostles. And God God gave Paul the wisdom to meet with a few of them privately first, these men of reputation, these leaders. Why? So that together they would be of one mind to present a unified front at the next meeting, at the public meeting. So who's, who's in this? There's, there's Paul. It says that he brings Barnabas with him, his traveling companion, his fellow missionary. 
He also brings what a young man, his name is Titus. He's a Gentile believer. He was a Greek. And so there's Paul, Barnabas, and Titus who meet alongside of Peter. We know from the end of Galatians chapter 1 is there. We know that, that, that John is there and James is there. This is not James the Apostle. This is James the brother of Jesus, the one who wrote the book of James. James the Apostle was martyred earlier in Acts chapter 12. And so there's this very important meeting. It's now referred to as the Jerusalem Council. When we studied the book of Acts, we read about this in Acts chapter 15. You can go back and read more details about this meeting in Acts chapter 15. But Paul shows us, first and foremost, he was obedient to the word of God. Secondly, he teaches us what? He displayed the grace of God. The next thing that Paul does is he moves from this private gathering of a few of his brothers into a larger public forum where he knows the Judaizers will be present. And what Paul does here is he does something that's absolutely ingenious. Paul says, I have brought with me the ultimate object lesson. A living, breathing example that will show you to your own eyes that the law is dead. What Paul says is, here is a young man who is a believer, and his name is Titus. He says very specifically, Titus was with me. Titus was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. In essence, Paul is doing what he is proving to everyone, to these law-loving Judaizers. It actually says in verse 4, it calls them false brothers. The New American Standard translates it, sham Christians, people who call themselves Christians, but they're not following the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul, what, speaks to those who have snuck, who have wormed their way into, the, into this meeting, who, who secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our liberty that we have in Christ. And Paul basically tells them, right here, you are all wrong. And I'll prove it to you. Because here's a young man. He is a faithful follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's a vibrant, growing maturing testimony of God's grace who, oh yeah, guess what, hasn't even fully obeyed the law. That's what Paul is doing. Paul literally, he ushers Titus to the front and he reveals the work and the picture of grace, of grace in a person's life. It's at that time that Paul makes this much-needed, very powerful proclamation. Number three, what else are we supposed to do? What else does Paul teach us? He teaches us what? There are times that we defend the truth of God. There are necessary moments in our lives where we will need to stand up. Why? Because someone is crossing that line. And we need to defend the truth of God. Paul says what? To them we did not yield. We did not give in. In submission even for a moment that the truth of the gospel might be preserved. It it is very obvious that you can sense the seriousness of this matter. And that Paul was faced with a decision. If he confronts them, what's going to happen? It's going to cause an uproar. Or, Or what? Well, you can do what sadly a lot of people do today. 
Well, this, this gospel, this is very offensive because it talks about the fact that what we are sinners. And so instead of confronting what some people choose to do, let's just ignore the whole thing. And hopefully after a period of time, it'll kind of settle down and we'll just kind of sneak away. Paul is faced with a decision. Confront, cause an uproar, or ignore it. And let things, what, like a cancer, continue to plague and poison. Think about it. It is so, it is so much easier to offer a compromise. Sadly, what many people are doing today, well, if that's what you want to believe, then that's okay. No, no it can't happen Paul says, no, it's not, he, he did not, he would not, he is not going to yield, what? He's not going to give up on the message of the gospel that speaks about complete freedom in Christ. And have it wrapped in with this warped message of the bondage to legalism. Instead he takes, okay, he takes a granite-like stand. You know, the situation that Paul faces right here depicts a problem in one form or another that you and I inevitably are going to face. Let let, let me ask you this. Where is the point in controversy? What is the subject which demands an absolutely unyielding resistance? What is it? What, 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 What doctrine... Are we literally going to, to, to dig in on that we will not budge, that we will not move? Some of those are, 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 need to be brought to you. You need to be reminded of. I had the privilege this week of attending a, a pastor's conference with a number of young men from our church um, with six other guys, 21 to 25 years old. So, someone asked me, I was, I was kind of hanging around with young guys all week, and I said, don't you feel young, Pastor? I said, I have never felt older in my entire life. <laughs> you know, these young guys, they're praying, they're anxious about what God has for, for them next in, in ministry. And inevitably, we have a nine-hour van ride out to, to Louisville, a nine-hour van ride back. And so you talk, and you're able to sit under some great teaching. And so we were dialing, what are the basics? What are, you going to, what are you going to go to the fence for? What are you going to die for? What are some of these basic doctrines? Let me just share with you some of these ones that we, we do not move on. First and foremost, why it is the absolute authority, the inerrant, infallible, spoken, God-breathed truth of the Word of God. This right here we do not budge on, first and foremost. Understand that. Somebody says, well, yeah, but you know, it's kind of dated and, and they really, you know... You know, myths actually can be... No, this is God's word. We don't budge on that. What is another absolute basic is the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. The fact that God himself was, was fully man and that Jesus was what? Fully God. We do not move on that. We don't move. We don't budge on the fact that what? Salvation, justification... Is by grace through faith, not of works. There's no works that you can do in order to save you. We don't budge on those things. Regardless of what the world is, is telling us. We don't budge on the fact that what there's, there's the Trinity that exists. God in three. Perfectly. 
We don't budge on the fact that there is a literal heaven and a literal hell. Heaven awaits for those who accept and repent and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And an eternal hell literally awaits a place of torment for those who reject and deny. Not this idea, well, really, love wins in the end and everyone eventually makes it. No, that's not what the truth of God's word says. These are things that we don't budge on. We don't move on. I heard this week, I read this week that a denial of these Doctrines, these basic doctrines, is a denial of Christianity itself. You take any one of those away, and you cannot be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. You cannot be a Christian. There are other ones that we know, in addition to that, that we simply will not and, 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 and do not budge on. One is the sanctity of human life that begins at conception, and we speak for and we speak up for those little babies. Another one is the sacredness of marriage that is exclusively designed between a man and a woman. And there is no altering of that. We don't budge on that. We don't move on that. Although the world may scream at us. Another one I believe is just, it's just in my heart. So clear. We see it so clear in God's word. Is a literal six day, 24, six 24 hour days of creation. Evening and morning were the first day. Evening and morning were the second day. God's word is explicitly clear. We don't budge on those things. Certain foundational doctrines that are simply not up for debates. Let me ask you this. Will you stand absolutely unmoved? On these. Will you stand on what? On, on, on salvation by grace. I, I would hope so. Will you defend it? I would hope so. That you can't blend this message of what? Falseness, of lies. Fourthly, finally, I love these two little words at the end of our text. Two little words. Paul says, well, we did not yield in submission even for a moment that the truth of the gospel might be preserved. And then there's these two little words, for you. You know what we need? You know what Paul teaches us here? You know his strategy? What, what he's reminding us is that we also need to be concerned for the people of God. That there's a reason that we're holding, and that is what? For others who are, who are believing lies, who are, who are in a sense just, just being, being washed away in, into, into nothingness and destruction. And, and we have to stand up to where the truth matters. I'm getting so tired of this idea that says basically you just believe whatever you want. If, if you think that, that's okay with you. There's no absolute truth. Everything is relative. That is just so wrong. It's just so dangerous. That type of thinking has no place when it comes to what? The infallible, inerrant word of God's. At times I'm almost amazed that there's still people that actually, there's Christians that believe that following man-made rules are going to get you into heaven. And, and yet it still happens. When the truth of God's word says what? Isaiah, very clearly, chapter 64 and verse 6, that your righteousness, your righteousness, and my, the very best that we can do, lining up perfectly straight, doing everything, your righteousness is like a filthy rag. It's like dirt before God. 
Christians, we have this tendency to pride ourselves on checking off the to-do list. We pride ourselves on, on our appearance and our attendance and our... When what? God says, I want your hearts. I want your heart freely. I want your heart committed to be free in Christ. In His work, not chained in bondage. I have to tell you that in, in all honesty, in many respects, I, I was not very well versed in what we would call the, the non-traditional. I, I grew up and, and there, were, there, there, were, there were rules and there were regulations. I'm thankful for many of them, but I think in all honesty, I remember very clearly that I had a huge, huge wake-up call. It was, it was back a number of years ago, about 1997, 1998. I was at a pastor's conference in Chicago. And I met a group of men. And at first, at, at first appearance, I have to be perfectly honest, I just, I looked and I kind of cringed. Long hair. Ponytails, leather jackets, tattoos all over their, their bodies, piercings. And they called themselves, I remember this, a group of guys from Akron, Ohio. Oh, Ohio, just even Ohio didn't get off to a good start. They looked like this, and they called themselves Bikers for Jesus. And I thought, oh yeah, right. Why don't, you, why don't you get a haircut first? And then you can be a biker for Jesus. And I remember I, I had the opportunity to sit with them at dinner, many of them. And, and, I, and I listened to the testimonies. I listened to them tell their story. And I, and I heard how many of them got their tattoos when they were in prison. I heard how God has transformed their lives. And I listened and I watched some as literally they were telling their stories just weeping. And I learned that they, they had a passion for the lost. That they were far more concerned about just hordes of people going to hell. And that they were out there sharing the message of the gospel far more than than I was. And, and I realized in my own heart how judgmental and how wrong I was. And I listened to them talk about the fact that what they don't budge, the fact that the Bible was the absolute authority, it was the infallible in our the entire word. And I've realized as I listened to them talk about what? That they believed in the deity of Christ, just like I did. They believed what? Salvation was by grace through faith, not works. And I remember how, I remember realizing how wrong I was. And since that time, it has literally changed my view that I, I, I can't look at and I can't judge. We're not to judge another man's heart. God God judges hearts. And I realized that these men were my brothers in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Do you understand that's the same message that you and I? That we are to stand on a message of unyielding and, and unmoving salvation by grace. Will you take a stand for that? Do you realize what that means? You realize that you were to tell and to teach people that, that what, although it may, may difficult, be difficult for them, they may be upset with a confrontation of the truth, but you will hold to the truth and you will tell them there's nothing that you can do in order to win. What the, the theme that comes of the whole book in Galatians 5 and verse 1, what Christ has set us free. We hold on to that. We don't change it, we don't alter it, we don't add to it, we don't try and fix it up. Do you realize that as we continue to present the gospel in this community, that what grace is extended to not just the the pretty among us or the polite among us. Do you realize that the, the gospel of grace is extended to the heroin addict or the crack addict? God's grace is extended to the pedophile that is locked up and doing time in prison. We would say the very worst of the worst. God's grace is actually extended to them. And you and I have a responsibility to tell them about God's grace. God's grace is extended to the radical Islamic who has what? His body strapped with explosives. God's grace is extended to that person. God's grace is extended to, to, to the, the sex addict, to the homosexual. God's grace is extended to the unfaithful husband, to the cheating wife. God's grace is extended to the hard-nosed, rebellious teenager who just is angry with and hates the entire world. God's grace is extended to that person, just like it was extended to you and I. And you have a message to tell them. What is amazing is that as the gospel continues to go forward, it will will never shrink. It will always advance. As I hear testimony after testimony about what God is doing in the lives of so many people in our community because you are sharing with them the hope of the gospel. May we continue to do that. May we continue to have an impact. Extending what? God's love for all mankind and the message of the cross of Jesus Christ and repentance from sin is the truth that offers what? Offers hope and offers forgiveness and life in heaven with Him for eternity. May we understand that there are certain things that we simply do not and we will not budge on. But when we hold to the truth of the gospel, God's word promises what? It will continue to advance and the gates of hell will never prevail against God's work. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much. I thank you, Lord, that there's nothing that we can do other than fall on our faces and beg for mercy. There's nothing more that we can do other than recognizing our own sinfulness and trusting you to give us the strength to turn from that. Father, I would ask, Lord, that we would understand that there are lines that simply will not be crossed. 
before we must confront anyone who desires to add to your message or take away from your message that we would confront with the truth of the gospel. God, give us the boldness to do that. Give us the stamina to do that regularly. We ask that we do it in such a way that you would be glorified. In your name we pray. Amen.